Good morning, church. Glad that you guys are all here. Sorry, if you weren't awake, you are now. Um, my name is Lexi, and as people make their way in, I am so excited that I get to welcome you to this place. I've gotten to share before, but this place is so special to me in my experience of what church has looked like. And today we got to do our pre-service meeting in the back, and I am just reminded of how many people it takes to make something like this go well. And I am excited that I get to do it alongside people, not only on staff, but as the congregate members find their space here. Um, I am here to welcome you as you continue to walk, to walk in and remind you that in this place, this is where we strive to lift up Christ in all that we do, um, that we get to be reminded of that as it's lit behind me here through the songs that we sing, through the prayers that we pray, the scripture that we read, that the ultimate goal of this place is to lift up Christ in all that we do. I'm going to pray for us, and we'll go ahead and keep on moving through the rest of our morning. God, thank you so much for being a God that invites us into a big story, to be a God that loves us in all that we offer, what we bring to the table, the good, the bad, and the ugly, that we still get to be invited into such a beautiful story of grace and redemption and that you are God that doesn't leave us where you found us, that we are constantly being pursued and that we get to step into these spaces to do hard things and to love the people around us and to be um, ultimately a light in a world around us. And I am just so honored that this is a space that we get to do that in. And I pray that your presence is felt in and through the words that we sing, the songs that we pray. Um, may those be meditations of our heart and the way that we engage with the people around us. And we ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Good morning. My name is Justin. Uh, would you stand with us? Um, as we sing together this morning and just invite the presence of the Lord in this place and in our hearts and our minds as um, we turn our eyes and our hearts towards him today. No place I would rather be There's no place I would rather be There's no place I would rather be Than here in your love here in your love There's no place I would rather be There's no place I would rather be There's no place I would rather be Than here in your love Here in your love No place I would rather no place I would rather be than here in your love, here in your love. Sing, set a fire. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. That I can't 
time I want to invite Diane Anderson up to read our um, call to worship scripture for today. Good morning. I'll be reading Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commandments. The children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be lifted high in honor. The wicked will see and be vexed. They will gnash their teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. The word of the Lord. Would you once again stand with us as we uh, sing together a song that's been sung in 
churches and gatherings for years and years and years. And today we get to join in that song and that prayer and sing it together this morning.
truth that we can stand in together today. Um, all of the incredible attributes of the God that we're here in the presence of are embodied in this person of Jesus. And this morning we gather together, we stand together, we sing together, we do all of these things together to participate in that presence, to be in that presence. And one of the most incredible attributes that Jesus embodies is the presence of peace. And I don't know about you, but I need that. And so we invite you this morning to take a couple minutes and just pass the peace of Christ to one another. And however that feels comfortable for you. And so would you take that time and pass that peace?
Well, good morning, church. Great to be with all of you this morning. Say your last hello, goodbye, see you later, and make your way back to your seats. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Tyler, and I'm on staff here at San Diego First Church. And it's just great to spend another Sunday worshiping with you all uh, here this morning. Um, this is the point in our service where we get to dismiss um, our kids and our teens over to their programming that takes place during this hour. And uh, as we send them off to Children's Church and Teen Bible Study, we like to read this prayer out loud over them um, as we dismiss them. So if you'll uh, look to the screen here, or it's also written on the front page of your bulletin, and uh, let's read this, this prayer together as soon as it pops up on the screen. Now. Perfectly timed. Thank you. Let's pray together. This is my prayer for you, our children, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best. May you be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Amen. See you, kids. See you, teens. Just want to take this time to let you guys know about some things happening in the life of our church, but first order of business, as usual, is to make sure you know about our online check-in form. The QR code is up here on the screen as well as that front side of your bulletin. If you've got a smartphone, you can open the camera app, hover it over that QR code, and a little link should pop up to our online check-in form. Super short, easy form to fill out with your name. You can update your contact info. Let us know if you have any information that you'd like us in the church office to know, such as a prayer request or anything else. Uh, it's a super easy way to communicate with us. Us. Add your contact info if you'd like to be on our mailing list, communicate those prayer requests, and so on. So you'll take the time. It'd be great for us to know that you're here this morning. Now on to all the fun stuff, things that are happening in the life of our church that we'd love to invite you to. First up is uh, the Women's Galentine's event that's happening this Thursday at the home of Shannon Heffernan. Uh, all the ladies in our community are invited to that. Invite your friends and neighbors as well. Uh, would love to have you all participate in that. Um, additional info can be found in our email that sends out every Friday, or you can just send us a, a message to the church office. We'd be happy to give you all the details about that women's event. Um, in addition to that, I want to make sure it's on your calendar as well. Our Ash Wednesday service is towards the end of this month. Ash Wednesday falls on February 22nd this year, and our service will be held over in the Ellipse Chapel um, starting right around 6.30 p.m. So that's usually the night of our Wednesday night programming. Instead of having um, programming for adults that evening, we'll have that service over in the Ellipse Chapel instead. So invite you all to that service as well. And then as I mentioned, Wednesday nights are our midweek programming night here at First Church. As of last week, all the things are happening uh, up and running again. We've got youth group going, Kid University started last week, as well as our Wednesday night dinners being back, served from 5.30 to 6.30, and then adult U classes as well for those of you that are in this room because the teens and kids, we just sent them away. Uh, so I invite you guys all to, to join us on Wednesday nights to be a part of all of that programming. There's something for everybody uh, during that hour, starting around 5.30 for dinner and then 6.30 uh, for programming. Um, as far as Adult EU goes, this coming week we'll be continuing our class uh, that we started uh, first uh, three sessions this past Wednesday called Who We Are, diving into the church uh, history and identity and what makes this church this church. Uh, so this is great for newer members, but also even if you've been here for a long time and want to dive into a little bit more about the history of our specific church, the Church of the Nazarene as a whole, uh, these are great sessions for you to attend. And then also starting this Wednesday is the beginning of another three-week series that is being led by a few in our congregation, namely, namely Wendy Kessler and Dave Adey, uh, called Practicing Grief Through Bonsai. And that's a very interesting title, and so to give a little bit more context behind that, I'd love to invite Dave and Wendy up at this time uh, to talk a little bit more about what this class is going to look like. Hey. 
Hey, welcome, Wendy. Hi. Welcome, Dave. I love Thank having you. some co-pilots on this stage. Sometimes I feel like I'm flying solo a little bit, so great to have you guys. Thank Practicing you. Grief Through Bonsai. This title might be a little interesting or confusing to some, so just give us a quick overview. What is this class about? Um, so Dave and I are very good friends going back to our college days and have had a lot of conversations about grief and loss um, through just personal experiences with that on my patio, and I am a um, professional grief counselor, and how our conversations about grief and Dave's practice of bonsai and how he's been processing grief through that practice have really overlapped in some really beautiful ways, and we realized through that that there actually was an opportunity here to offer education um, and intentional practice to um, our community in kind of what we're learning about that and how that's kind of enriching our lives and, and offering healing and, and movement for us and, and different things that we've experienced. Um, that one of the things that I have learned and that I talk with clients about as a grief counselor is that grief is a very active process. It's something that we have, many people have adopted this false narrative that grief is a passive experience. Something that, something unwanted happens to us and then we just have to endure the pain of grief until it passes. But there actually is agency that we have within our grief experience that we can build resilience, develop coping strategies, um, that grief, the process is integrating the loss into our life and kind of expanding around it so that we can hold everything. And we also are heart, mind, body, soul. And a lot of times we think about grief far more than we feel it, far more than we um, just, engage our body in that process as well. And so when there's an activity that we can do, like bonsai, we discover that they're actually, the more we can connect our heart, mind, body, soul as we're processing grief, the more space we make to kind of have movement to experience and then to release that. So this class will be, it's three weeks, and it will start with some education about grief, just some of the stuff I just shared, so that's a good little preview. And then um, we actually will practice bonsai, and Dave will walk us through that part. Okay. But maybe, Dave, I can jump, yeah. second question to you, sure. which is probably the one that's on everybody's mind, why bonsai? That's a great question. Um, well, I, the brief story from, I grew up around bonsai, and my dad started his first bonsai tree when he was 19 years old, and I have that tree now, um, and I have several of his others. Um, I started practicing it myself when, uh, in 2009, I tried my first one, so I've been doing it for a while. I am not a bonsai expert, let's just put that to rest right now, um, but I, I have many trees, and um, since my dad passed away in November, um, and dealt with a year of, of dementia and some really tough times. It's become a really a more significant practice for me. And so, um, and Wendy, sort of as a, a, a good friend and professional grief counselor, um, helped me make the connection that, that of the physical process of, of dealing with grief. And it's been, it's been really meaningful for me, so she just pitched the idea, well, would you be interested in maybe doing something together, and, and I thought about it for a while, and I thought That's, that, that, could really, that could really work. And so um, we will be, everybody's gonna create a tree in three weeks, um, you know, start a tree, you know, because they're never really finished, so we'll get one started. And um, we're gonna talk, the first week, we'll talk a little bit about 
choosing a tree. So then you're going to go out to various garden centers and find, um, I'll give you some direction on some species that work really well and what to look for. The second week, we're going to do some pruning and wiring. And then the third week, we're going to plant it in a, and repot it in a bonsai pot, and then you'll have something to take home. Um, the last thing I'll mention, I think it's really, it's super important to me, and, and um, Diane Anderson is, is helping us with this as well. In fact, we've joked about what happens when a, a grief counselor, a designer, and a botanist walk into a church. Um, but um, so we're, we're kind of drawing on all of our expertise. Um, it's really important to, um, if you're thinking, I hear people say all the time, I have a black thumb, you know, um, and you're, you're concerned that, um, that you might lose the tree. Um, don't let that be a reason not to come to the class because we, we don't want to assign that actual tree that much importance. You know, the, the tree itself is not your beloved. Um, but it, the, the process itself, um, there, there's a lot of beauty in that. And so I've killed more bonsai trees than probably anybody in this room. Um, and, and they do. Sometimes it's out of your control. Sometimes it's something that's it's within your control. Um, but that's okay. So um, at the end of the day, you still walk away with some, with some skills and some insight into grief and a creative process, which has been significant for me. Yeah, great. Yeah. Thanks so much. And then last question for either of you. Uh, certainly the whole church, uh, broader church and broader community is invited to this, but who specifically is this class meant for or uh, would be especially helpful for? So this class is, um, we are creating it as an opportunity to process grief and to learn about grief. And that will be like the starting conversation for the class. We don't want anyone to show up to a fun workshop to learn how to make bonsai and then feel blindsided. That There will be a lot of conversation about grief, about personal losses, people are comfortable sharing. Um, no one will be required to share anything about loss unless you choose to and feel comfortable doing that. Um, but it is really this open space we are offering and, and creating to share in the experience of grief. Like grief is the most common experience we share. It's the most universal experience, a significant loss, and yet it's the most widely misunderstood, the one that we have the most false narratives about typically. So we want this to be a space where we can connect as a community through the universal experience of shared loss that we don't talk openly enough about um, within communities and within the groups that we spend so much time with. And grief isn't fixed, it's witnessed. There's something really powerful that happens when our loss is witnessed, acknowledged by people that we spend time with. And um, so that's really the focus of what we want this class to be, but we're gonna be practicing those concepts and, and realities through bonsai. Wonderful, thank you two so much. So glad to have you guys bringing your personal and professional experiences and expertise into this class and uh, excited for that to get started this week. Thank you. Yeah, give them a hand, give them a hand. And at this time I'd like to pass it off to uh, the choir to continue to lead us in worship this morning.
Good morning. Carl and I will read 1 Corinthians chapter 2 by Paul. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about, the testimony about God. For resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things of God, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thought except their own spirit with them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so, they, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to, to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Larry and Carl, for reading that passage, and for all those who have made this morning really wonderful. It is great to be together. My name is Dee, and I had the privilege of leading us into the reading a little bit further this morning. I, I do want to just express as a reminder to you, for those of you who might want to more than just on Sunday morning follow on a journey collectively that we began uh, the first Sunday after Thanksgiving in a three-year journey that we've certainly been in these scriptures before, but um, 
the most recent three-year journey began at the end of November. We spent a great deal of time in Isaiah. We are shifting into Corinthians for a period of time. And um, each Sunday there are four different readings that are offered. We try and use them in uh, um, our call to worship or one of the readings or highlight them through music. Um, those are certainly available. You can see them in various pieces of literature that we put out on Fridays or the bulletin. But we also have a couple other ways that you can engage those four readings every week. Uh, one is through a devotional brochure that every quarter we are putting out to try and guide us. Um, the Living Lectionary is what it's entitled, and it gives you a variety of ways by which to enter into those readings and to feel like you're doing it along with a lot of other people um, as we try and go from Wednesday to Tuesday. Sunday falling in the middle that kind of spurs us on in these readings and allows us to dig deeper. Tied in with that, if you enjoy podcasts or hearing somebody else talk about some of these things, we have on um, Thursday a podcast that's Matt and myself. Um, it's called First Impressions. And it's the scripture that's going to be spoken on uh, three days later on Sunday, where we just talk about the things that kind of come to our attention when we first, first start looking at this passage. And then Sunday, we have this as we dig deeper, and then on Tuesday, a follow-up called Connections, which gives us an opportunity to talk about how this relates to the other three readings, and also how it relates to how we live. And so, if that's a way by which you learn or would like to join in with that discussion, please avail yourself on the website or wherever you find your podcasts. Um, this passage, then, the reading that you just heard, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We are kind of jumping into the middle of, at least it's near the beginning, but we didn't start with the introduction, jumping right into chapter 2. And I, I want to acknowledge that we miss a little bit. There was a reading that we could have done in the previous week, but we were staying in the prophets a little bit longer to try and complete that series. So I, I just want to acknowledge that in chapter 1, Paul says a little bit about this church at Corinth a church that it appears he founded, a church that he loves, and a church that has moved in some directions that has caused him some concern, and he writes this letter to address some of those concerns. We have First and Second Corinthians. Some people think that there are at least four letters that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Um, we have two of them. The reason some people think that is that other writings are referenced, and so you can read through and go, oh, what's he referring to? It sounds like he wrote another letter to the church at Corinth. So there is this introduction to us in some ways of this relationship between Paul and the church at Corinth. We also have an introduction to some of the problems. We're not introduced to all of the problems because they just keep unfolding one after another in this letter. All kinds of problems. 
there are issues of food sacrifice to idols, sexual immorality, um, divisions that are brought out by a variety of ways. There are conflicts in worship. Chapter 1 simply introduces these divisions around a particular topic, and that is some of you make a big deal about the fact that you got saved under the preaching of Apollos. And others about, no, 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 I, I was there when Paul gave that incredible message. It's kind of like debating who's been reading the best books and who's the defining word on some theological topic. And, oh, I, I've read L.L. Apollos and his writings on eschatology, and I, that's just the last word. You can't go beyond that. And having this sense of great spiritual pride of those with whom you're associated, the knowledge you have, the wisdom you've acquired. And in the church, it's not a problem that it creates wonderful discussion. That would be great. But what has happened is it's created horrible division. Separation. Who knows what? Who has the great insider peak into the truth of all spirituality, of the characteristics of God, of the way we're supposed to live, of how we do worship? And now we come to chapter 2. And it feels to me like Paul steps back just a little bit, having introduced the divisions, seems to me like he begins to address the problem behind the problems. Sure, we can deal with the consequences of some of these big issues, but we'll just keep having problems if we don't get to some of the root cause of the problems. I know some of you have heard me talk about this particular problem I have. I'll try and make it brief and succinct. I lived in Ohio. I had come to the conclusion of the classroom portion of grad school program, which is, in terms of your financial journey, usually one of your lower points of financial resources. And so I decided that the problem I had with a cavity in my mouth would cause me to drive my fuel-efficient car the distance down to the Ohio State University Dental School and have a student work on that cavity because that would cost about what I could afford. <laughs> Maybe a little bit more than I could afford, but I knew um, that it would get the job done. I did not know that it would take 11 trips of that 50-mile trip. And all that would take place as we uncovered the problem behind the problems. So I had a cavity, that's all I thought. So I went down there, and because you're working with students, they have to learn certain things. So you first have to get all the cleaning done. And uh, fortunately, in this galley way that you're in, there is a professor that is overseeing all of it, and that's wonderful. I longed for the professor to be closer more often, but because with that rubber thing in your mouth, you can't yell very far to get the attention of the professor. 
Patrick was the student's name. It's been indelibly written in my mind. And I think he signed his work in my mouth because I've had problems ever since. But I even had the wonderful dentist here, Dr. Holly, say, oh, that's the student tooth that was done. Okay, great, got that. <laughs> Thanks, Doc. So um, after a couple trips visiting um, Patrick that were all interesting in their own right, the one that threw me off the most was when he just um, announced talking out loud as he often did, trying to engage me in full-on discussions with my mouth full of every equipment he could put in there. There was nothing that I could really respond except nodding my head. And at one point in time, as he was carrying most of the conversation, he said, you know, you just bleed a lot. <laughs> really? Is that the comment you want to tell your patient? <laughs> I, so eventually, uh, on, I, I, I'm going to skip some of the worst of the details, but in calling over the professor on the third um, visit, the professor said, yes, Mr. Kelly, I, I am sorry, but in order to get this done right, the cavity is right up against the wisdom teeth, and we're going to have to send you to the wisdom students. I, I don't know what they call them, but because you need the two wisdom teeth removed on that side. Great. Let's do the problem behind the problem, get the wisdom teeth out. So I came, took the wonderful IV consciousness with somebody who's doing graduate studies in wisdom teeth, and I would have far preferred like an epidural where I was just completely out because being only partially out was a disaster as she really struggled with one of the teeth. Yeah, thank you for having that sympathy because that's what I felt. So after those are out and I'm fully packed and driving my 50 miles back home, came back down for the fourth visit and the professor along with Patrick, whose assistant asked me, you've got high blood pressure, is that always the case? I said, let me introduce you to Patrick. <laughs> and the professor said, I am really sorry, this cavity really goes down lower than the gum line. We're going to have to send you the gum student. And so you probably didn't know there are gum student, graduate students that are at the Ohio State Dental School. So I came back another trip and went to another place and this guy was very kind, very nice. He had been in his graduate program for quite some time, and he said, yeah, I can see why we needed to cut the gum line back, and so he does that, which is just also another wonderful procedure. And after he's cut the gum line back, he says, Mr. Kelly, there's a problem behind this problem. And um, it's going to be impossible, even though I've cut the gum line back, for them to properly handle this tooth. I really need to shave the jawbone. <laughs> what a wonderful morning this is. <laughs> the problem behind the problem, behind the problem, behind the problem. And he said, I can do it for you right now if you'd like. I said, is there any chance that you'll be the last student I work with. <laughs> Is this the last step? And he said, absolutely. There's nothing more we can do. There's not like a heart doctor that now comes in or whatever else the case might be. 
So he pulled out, it was like a belt sander, and the gum line was, I could smell the bone, but you don't need to know all of that. It was an interesting ninth trip down to The Ohio State University Dental School. The tough thing was at the end of solving the problem behind the problem behind the problem was that I got sent back to the original problem, Patrick, to finish <laughs> out the cavity filling, and I went home. And I still respect the Ohio State University to this day, but I have been reminded every time I tackle a project at my house that seems like a simple problem, that there's often a problem behind the problem that requires a part of the wall to be pulled out and then that two by four behind that and then to see where the water got in, where it shouldn't have gotten in, the problem behind the problem. I've belabored this point so long this morning. It's not because I'm trying to fill space. It's because I don't want you to forget that so often we keep dealing with the symptoms of the journey spiritually and just need to be reminded about the problem behind the problems. Paul's going to deal with all of those little things, but here in chapter 2, he goes deeper and he says, you all are talking about wisdom. But let me tell you, there's a wisdom that all the soothsayers don't get. All the powers that be seem to have missed. In fact, they missed it so badly that they put to death the source of this wisdom. They crucified the Christ. Because this wisdom, I just, I want to share it with you. It's the secret of all ages, verse 6 says. It is the foundational wisdom on which we build our journey. Paul refers over and over again to the crucified Christ. That's it. Well, it is this plan, as verse 6 says, that was put in place at the beginning of all time. The crucified Christ, the risen one, the one who is offered the spirit of Christ for us. With this crescendo conclusion in verse 16, that proclaims something that is so simple in its statement, but so profound in its meaning, that we have the mind of Christ. That's what's been offered us. That's the privilege, the opportunity. So it seems appropriate to me to ask, as I think Paul is doing, when we find in the, ourselves in the midst of a dispute, a tension, a conflict has arisen. I, I don't think I need to ask, I wonder if you had the mind of Christ. Because my role in this is not dependent upon your response. 
The question is, have I considered the mind of Christ in my journey? I know what some of my immediate responses are, and, and it is this tension of what it just means to simply be human, to be drawn towards self-preservation, to be concerned about how things are going to turn out, my own natural fears and uncertainties, but I find myself so often in positions where I, I'm, I'm wanting to protect what I think is mine, my safety, the resources I have, the people I love, it often moves me to a mindset that is not particularly what I read about in the mind of Christ. It's not that we don't love ourselves. There's very clear direction from Christ, and that's based on how much Christ loves us. But this gift, this crucified Christ, is the free gift of salvation for which I have earned nothing. So to have the mind of Christ is to step into that place where I recognize how I have been graced. And then am offered the privilege of having a mind of Christ that gracefully treats others well. I mentioned during Morning Tide the other New Testament passage for this week's readings. It's uh, Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. And I love how fascinating it is, the language that's used when Jesus in chapter 5 looks out over this crowd and uses the term you but it's plural, it's you collectively, to the crowd that is gathered on the hillside, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Well, how does that work? Well, it seems by the Beatitudes and what follows that Jesus is really proclaiming how you treat one another in community, that's how others see the good news and experience the light. How their palate is teased toward God by how they see you treat one another. Wow. How are we going to get there? I think one of the wonderful ways to simply ask the question, oh Lord, what would you think in these moments? Uh, that old adage that seemed to get a little worn out by so many wristbands of WWJD, what would Jesus do, still is a great reminder. But it's not just what would Jesus do. It's appropriate to ask what would Jesus think? What would Jesus feel? What moves God with compassion? How, how did Jesus respond to the crowds? 
How did Jesus think through the conversation with the woman at the well? With Peter, with James and John, with Mary of Magdala. The mind of Christ, that's a wisdom that supersedes all the wisdom efforts of the ages. So simple, but I've got to say, sometimes so very difficult to put into practice. So, maybe this then becomes the uncomfortable question of the morning. Think of the latest tension in a relationship. Oh, come on, you can pick from, what, a dozen? It, it may be a close friendship, it may be a broken relationship that hasn't been bridged in a long time. Just think of one. And then just simply ask, What's the mind of Christ in this moment? If I can step beyond my protective nature, my defensive nature, here's, here's one of the things that I've been wrestling with, and I have the feeling is going to come out over and over again, and that is all of the defenses that come up in relational moments, in interactions, even if the interaction is simply a report on a, on a newscast, the defenses go up, and it seems like one of the first things that I need to address is how can the Spirit of Christ help those defenses drop? But the question I rarely ask is how can I drop my offensive weapons? We often talk about dropping defenses, but how about the offenses? The spears that I carry with me, the arrows that I'm ready to shoot, little jabs with a touch of humor, so nobody will question that I have a right spirit in all I say. What if I were to honestly say, how do I drop the offenses that I have in my quiver? This is the mystery. This is the secret. This is how we can then move into some of those tough discussions that Paul jumps into with the church at Corinth is to say, let's get to the problem behind the problem behind the problem. The mind of Christ. The crucified Jesus that opens up our heart in humility by grace we have been saved, not of anything we have done, but by that which was done before time began on our behalf, that we then, not just individually, but collectively, might become the light of the world as evidenced by how we treat one another. That becomes our worship. The invitation to leave this place to worship in that way. So an invitation to the table of grace. We often talk about the ways in which God invites us into this free gift. But the price that's been paid that the elements so beautifully display 
is the crucified Christ. That's the invitation this morning. Matt, come and lead us to the table of grace. It should then come to no surprise that as Paul is writing to this Corinthian church, midway through the letter, he addresses the divisions that have taken place over the table, over communion. That the divisions that had been amongst them had started making their way into their very practices, their very remembrances of who Christ is. And Paul reminds them that they are the body of Christ, undivided from Christ. That the very mind of Christ spoken of in chapter 1 is embodied, and in chapter 2, is embodied amongst them. And so we come to gather this morning to celebrate that we are the body of Christ. We are called not only to remember what Christ has done on our behalf, but that Christ invites us into anticipating not just what the glory day would come when Jesus finally comes back, but Envisioning what each day looks like. Anticipating this next week that we might embody Christ to a greater degree. With all of the forgiveness and grace that comes with. Here in this church, as the servers come forward, here in this church we celebrate communion as an open table. You don't have to be a member of this church. You don't have to have signed anything. You come as one Seeking more love. To be loved more by God as if that's possible, but to know the love of God in a, to a greater degree. And if you are one who feels as if you are lacking faith, that is okay. And if you feel like you are one with the most amount of faith, wonderful. Come to the table to experience the love of God that we might anticipate what it looks like to be the body of Christ in our daily routines. Would you join us in worship?
In that same letter, Paul says, on the night that Christ was betrayed, he gathered his disciples together and he, he had bread. And he took that bread and he blessed it and he broke it and it gave it, he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. Likewise, a little further along in the meal, Christ took a cup. He said, this is my blood poured out for you, which is the sign of the new covenant. Drink for the forgiveness of sins. This is the mystery of faith, that Christ has come, that Christ is with us, and that Christ will come again. Thanks be to God. In so doing, we follow not only the Spirit, but we seek to embody the mind of Christ with us. So go from this place, being of one Spirit, following the mind of Christ, guiding us, not just in this space, but from this week, in all the places and the spaces that we inhabit, that we might take on the mind of Christ. Go in God's peace and grace this morning.